like, so do you want me to bring your iPad from home because you left it at home? I was like, nah, I'll just print the sermon out on the computer. So I went over to the office, and I know I talk about this a lot, but man, it's so good getting over there. I was just, I'm going to hop in there, grab a water, so go into through the B1 room because I know there's a fridge with some waters in it, and, you know, a couple dozen people in there just studying the Bible together, and hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? It's great. And get my water, and then I'm headed back to... Uh, to turn, make sure the copiers are turned on so they're warmed up and everything because that takes a few minutes sometimes. So I open that, open that door and I think I'm just going to walk, you know, turn in. <laughs> now, Hewlin Fowler is there, right, with his reader. I get introduced and it's really cool. He's in, the reader's a new father and everything. And so the printers are turned on. So then I go back to my office. Well, sitting in Barbara Cooper's office, which is right in front of my office, the Kearns are there. Uh, Mike and Jenny, and they have two Chinese or Taiwanese readers that are in there, and it was, it was pretty neat. I love it. I love it. love it. And whenever people tell me, I just wish our church was more evangelistic. I mean, evangelistic, that's one of those things, yeah, sure. I mean, it's kind of like love or something. I wish our church had more love. Yeah. I mean, there's, is there ever, you're like, well, we have too much, you know? Too many people being led to Jesus at this church. We need to back off on that. So sure, yeah, but I don't consider us an unevangelistic church when I see dozens of our members sharing their faith. You know, once a week, sometimes twice a week, the Maxfields and some others are doing, you know, multiple readers and different stuff. So I just think that's cool. Always inspires me, gets me going. Great service today, by the way. What was that song that you sang, the solo you had for us? I'll be seeing you. I'll be seeing you. Nice job. That was not a particularly easy a cappella song, so hats off on that one. All right, so we're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 17 tonight, but we'll do a little build-up to that before we get there in our powerful prayer series. Tonight is simply increase my faith. Increase my faith is the prayer tonight. Last week we talked about the, depending on your translation, uh, is the Syrophoenician woman or the Canaanite woman uh, anyway, she's a woman, she's a mother, and she lives up around Tyre and Sidon, so ancient Phoenicia, definitely not an area where you were going to find Jewish people up there, but Jesus and his apostles are kind of getting away up there where he can do some, some teaching and training with his guys up there, and she has a sick daughter. Uh, she says her daughter is demon-possessed. Jesus never addressed that if, if he agrees with that diagnosis of her malady, but she is very sick. Uh, she constantly begs and, and, and pleads and throws herself at the feet of Jesus. Heal my daughter, heal my daughter. He basically ignores her for the better part of the story. And you're kind of like, Jesus, you're not being very Jesus-y here. His disciples are, are like, hey, Master, if you're not going to heal her, at least send her away. Uh, and finally, you have that rather interesting exchange where he basically, referring to his primary mission of, of sharing the gospel with the children of Israel... He says it's not right to take the food for the children and give it to the dogs. And she basically, this is maybe the only time in the ministry of Jesus that somebody seems to kind of get the better of him uh, because she comes back and, and she says, hey, even the dogs get to eat the scraps that fall off the table. And he's basically like, wow, your daughter's healed. And I have not seen faith like this uh, in Israel before. So it's pretty cool. Um, verse... Um, Verse, verses 20. So we're going to go to, we're going to, go to Matthew 15 here. Um, Jesus said, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. So 
great faith, and that's quite a compliment. That's not just anybody telling you, wow, you've got great faith. That is God in the flesh. That is Jesus, the Messiah, telling you, you are a person of great faith. Well, when Jesus traveled about, when he taught, you know, he, when he performed miracles, when he did his ministry, we have to remember that kind of parallel with that at the same time, Jesus is conducting this, what we call it, a discipleship program for exactly 12 men that he has selected to be part of this program. They are getting special teaching. They are hearing everything, seeing everything, but they're also getting a little bit more as he trains these disciples. Um, So this mobile classroom is with him pretty much wherever he goes. Uh, They are hand-picked by Jesus. They see what he does, and, and really, they get a pretty good idea based on his teaching and on his actions and interactions with other people. They get a pretty good idea of what matters to Jesus. Hello there. Y'all look very pretty tonight. Uh, they get a very good idea of what really is important to their master, to their rabbi. Being warm, being welcoming, inviting to people on the outside, people on the fringe. That's important to Jesus. They can see that. Um, dealing with sin. Okay, not sugarcoating things, but calling it what it is. Dealing with sin. Dealing with the brokenness in people's lives. Jesus does that a lot. Um, love keeps coming up, keep popping up. That's a, a, obviously a theme in not only the teaching of Jesus, but the way he lives. Um, but this other thing just keeps coming up. This other thing keeps coming up, and it's clear that on the list of what matters most to Jesus, this one is way, way up there, if not at the top, very close to the top, and it's faith. He continually talks about faith. Jesus values that. Woman, he says to that mother we talked about last week, you have great faith. Great faith. Um, You know, he could have called attention to her love. I mean, she is there, um, and and she is representing her daughter and and breaking all sorts of social conventions and protocols by having a conversation with a Jewish rabbi in public. She wasn't supposed to do that, but because of her love, she did that. He could have lauded her persistence, her endurance. You just keep coming. You don't quit. That's a great thing. But what he does is he lauds her faith. That's what impresses me about you, lady. It's your faith. Um, that's what he singles out. So it was a big deal to Jesus, and the 12 apostles knew it. Okay? Here's a quick little journey through. Um, let's just go through the book of Luke really quickly. We'll, we'll just hop through some places. Uh, Luke chapter 5, you remember um, the four men bring their friend who is a paralytic to Jesus. They have trouble getting to him, so they kind of worm their way through the crowd, get on top of the roof, dig through the roof, lower their paralyzed friend in front of Jesus. And the text says in Luke chapter 5, verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Of course, we know in the story he heals the man as well. So he saw their faith and he healed the man. Luke chapter 7, verse 9. Um, the story of the centurion, the Roman, the outsider who believes in Jesus, believes that this Jewish rabbi has power from God and can heal his servant who is very near death. 
Um, and he says in Luke chapter 7, verse 9 of this Roman centurion, he says, I tell you, I have not found such what? Faith. I have not found such faith even in Israel. Um, then the sinful woman in, verse, in, in chapter 7, we talked about that, I think, last Sunday morning. He, she comes in, she's a mess, I mean, really, and she interrupts the dinner party of Simon the Pharisee, throws herself at the feet of Jesus, washes his feet with her tears and perfume, and, and dries them off with her hair. And he says in verse 50, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Your faith has saved you, go in peace. And then for his disciples, these 12 guys... In Luke chapter 8, verse 25, he says, O ye of little faith, where is your faith? The NIV puts it. Where is your faith? Hemorrhaging woman. She's been bleeding for years. A slow bleed. What an awful thing. In Luke 8, 48, he says, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Back to the disciples. Chapter 12, verse 28, he says, O you of little faith. So basically, <laughs> whenever Jesus runs into these unlikely, you know, the sinful woman and the centurion and the hemorrhaging woman, all these unlikely suspects, the, the Phoenician woman, he's like, man, you've got incredible faith. He looks at his guys and he's like, man, you guys don't have much faith at all. I just really, I'm not really seeing it, you know? And we could go on and on about that from Luke's gospel. Faith was a big deal to Jesus. His disciples knew it. Um, they also understood from Jesus, he was pretty clear, they weren't making the grade. Okay? They were not doing well in that department that mattered so much to their master. So that brings us to the prayer tonight, the increase our faith prayer. I think that's a great one. It will take you three-tenths of a second to pray that in your daily prayer. Probably a good thing to add in because we know it matters to Jesus. Um, and we know that his power is released into the lives of people um, when they come to him in faith, when they live by faith. So here is uh, our text tonight, and this is Luke chapter 17, and I'm going to start in verse 3. We'll take a couple of pauses here, but mainly 3 through 10. We'll get through a couple of verses right now. So here it is. Jesus says, if your brother sins... Okay, and we're thinking here, we're going to know, sins against you, okay? Your brother sins against you. If your brother sins, rebuke him. Hey, you sinned. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins, think about this one. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, Forgive him. <laughs> now you got the context. The apostle said to him, increase our faith. We'll get back to that in a minute. I just want to make sure that we're seeing what, what is going on here, that they would request greater faith. It is this direct response to this teaching from Jesus that if somebody sins and repents... You forgive them. I don't care if they've done it seven times in a day. You forgive them. Yeah. If I was in the training program there, I think I would have been saying, increase my faith. 
That's, that's a lot to ask for, isn't it? I mean, that's a hard one. So back to the text. He replied, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, I've seen mulberry trees. We had one near our house in Missouri. Pretty good-sized. You can say to this mulberry tree, um, be uprooted and planted in the sea. So jump over there into the ocean, would you? And it will obey you. Now, I like this verse. I really do. I think it's one to, to savor, okay, to process and enjoy. So Jesus has told his disciples a couple of times already in the Gospel of Luke, including right here in this context, he's told them, you have very little faith. Now he's telling them, but guess what? Very little faith, that's still enough to make quite a bit happen, isn't it? That's still enough to, to cause some pretty amazing things to happen. Um, so I was just thinking this week as I was working through this. If your faith, or, or rather if, if the place you work, your office, your job, your factory, whatever. If that is kind of a faith-free zone, nobody really seems to believe in Jesus there. If your high school is a place like that, where just people don't seem to believe in Christ there, or your neighborhood, or even your home, here's the good news. In dark places, even a little faith, even a, a, a small, tiny faith, can shine very brightly. Let's just make sure that we're not embarrassed or ashamed of our faith where we might hide it under a bushel, right? We need to be willing to let our faith shine even if it's not quite as big as we would like for our faith to be. Um, and one of my good friends, Sergio, uh, he was one of our first elders there in Rio. He's a lawyer, just a great, big-hearted guy. And we go and we... I'm sure this summer we're going to go to Rio and we're going to have dinner like we always do at Sergio and Aurea's house and catch up and all the things going on with them. Well, he gave me a really cool gift one time. He was walking down the streets, going from point A to point B, going to the, going to the courthouse or something, and he passed by a little gardening store with a bunch of seeds. He dropped in there and he bought me a vial of mustard seeds. He thought, he thought I needed that. He thought a group of Americans that could barely speak Portuguese that moved to Brazil, starting with zero, with the dream of establishing a church, he thought maybe we needed to be reminded, a little faith goes a long ways, you know? You're okay, God's got this. And so I really appreciated him. I don't know, maybe 500 seeds in here, maybe, I, don't, I have no idea, I haven't counted the seeds. But there are a lot of mustard seeds in this tiny little vial. And I keep that right by the place where I usually pray in my office just to remind me, hey, a little bit of faith goes a long ways um, with God. So back to the text. Back to the text. We've talked about the mulberry tree. Verse 7. Let's go to verse 7. 
Suppose one of you, and we're going to change gears a little bit here, but I think you'll see how it all fits together. Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to that servant when he comes in from the field, Ah, come along now, sit down to eat. Would he not rather say, Hey, oh, glad you're back. Prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. That's what, that's what would happen, really. Yeah, that's exactly what would happen. Would he thank the servant because the servant did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything that you were told to do, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. That one doesn't show up on many crocheted little wall hangings, right? We are unworthy servants. We have only done what we were told to do. But it's in there, and it comes from Jesus, and it's for us. It's for his disciples. And I love the way Jesus kind of just tells it like it is. He just kind of levels with us. Um, Whatever good we accomplish. You know, we've been plowing the fields. We've been working hard for you, Jesus. Whatever ministries we launch, whatever, you know, friends speak readers we read with and baptisms we get to witness and, and hungry people we feed in Dallas or whatever. Whatever, really, we're able to do with our tiny little faith, um, we just need... I mean, this is how Jesus finishes this text here. We just need to remember that we are unworthy servants We're just doing our duty. Now, that is not a message to the disciples uh, that's going to coddle them, right? That's not a warm fuzzy. And and coddling and warm fuzzies are kind of a hallmark of that time. In fact, some of you are probably waiting, okay, where's the rest of that? Okay, surely he's going to explain that one away. No, it's there. It's for us. We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. When it comes to the work we do for the Lord, Jesus wants us to keep very clearly in mind it is His work. Okay, It is His work. And anything good that happens, it's to His glory. Guess what? We have been bought with a price by the blood of Christ. We are not our own. We belong to Him. Now, I think we could probably all agree this really flies in the face of a lot of thinking these days. The thinking these days that puts me in the driver's seat. My likes, my preferences, my opinions. Uh, It really seeps, this thinking today really seeps into the way that we can think about our discipleship sometimes. It can seep into the way that we think about church sometimes. (sighs) You know, I just need to find a church that that fits me, you know? Just that church that connects with me. That's what I'm looking for. You know, I don't really like... This is not about you, obviously, John Scott. This is hypothetical, purely hypothetical. I don't really like the song leader at our church. I always singing those songs that are 200, 300 years old. I mean, can't you sing something new? 
And of course, the person sitting next to them or a couple rows back is thinking, I hate those new songs. Why is he always leaning? Nobody knows those new songs. But that kind of thinking, I mean, it really is not uncommon, okay? Um, of course, not here, John Scott. They all complain about the preaching here, so. <laughs> we live in a time, don't we, when, I mean, never before, anyone can be a critic, a hotel critic, a restaurant critic. I do reviews on TripAdvisor. I think I'm level five now, level five contributor on TripAdvisor. Anyone can be a critic. Anywhere can, anyone can be a, a connoisseur. Anyone can step into that role of evaluator. And we do that freely in our culture. We even do that with church. The song choices, oh, the preaching, the auditorium is always too cold or too hot. Or within the last month, I've heard, you've got to really turn the microphone up when you're preaching. Nobody can hear you. And someone else literally told me, it's too loud when you're preaching. Can you turn that down? I mean, it's just... Make your head spin if you're a church leader. And that's not just here, by the way. That's everywhere. I have friends in other churches. It's everywhere. People love to offer their suggestions and their opinions. Complain. Um, people love to be heard. And it's usually about pretty insignificant stuff. It really is. It's about a lot of that stuff, you know, that doesn't matter all that much. And so, I mean, here we are in a city where hundreds of thousands of people, probably millions even, of our neighbors in the Metroplex, they do not have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. They don't know the Lord. And we're seriously going to complain about the speed of the Wi-Fi. <laughs> or or I, I have trouble finding a parking spot. Or you name it, you know, whatever. You get the point. Donuts run out too fast in the fellowship hall. I don't know, whatever it is. Um, so, Jesus, man, he comes along here in Luke chapter 17, and he's, he's really helping. I mean, it sounds hard. It sounds kind of harsh. He's really helping his disciples to get their heads around, to get their hearts around this bigger perspective, to pull out of all the minutia, to see from 10,000 feet up what's really going on. And what's really going on is they are not their own. Okay? What's really going on is... Jesus is the master. They are the servants. He loves them. Okay? Nowhere is he saying, I don't love you. They, they know he loves them. Nowhere is he saying, you have not been adopted into God's family. He's not saying that. But he's saying, when it comes to the work, when it comes to the ministry, you're my servants. <laughs> Do your job. And give me the glory. It's my kingdom. So we're having C.S. Lewis screw tape letter day today because I mentioned it at church this morning. Well, I've got an actual quote tonight um, from the screw tape letters. Charming little book, as I mentioned. So if you're not familiar with it, it's it's really interesting. So he just kind of imagines these correspondences. What would it be like for like a senior level, senior management demon to communicate with his uh, his subordinate junior demon 
and they're talking back and forth and how the junior demon can do a better job of tempting, do a better job of basically ruining people's lives. And most of the book deals with the junior demon is trying to work on a Christian, okay? Someone has come to faith in Christ and he's trying to undermine that and trying to mess that up. And so here's a little bit from one of their correspondences, um, which I think could have been written today, honestly. He says, you mentioned casually, so the two demons are communicating here, you mentioned casually in your last letter that the patient has continued, that's what they call this guy, the patient, the target, okay? The patient has continued to attend one church and only one since he was converted and that he is not entirely pleased with it. Surely you know that if a man can't be cured of church-going, the next best thing is to send him all over the neighborhood looking for a church that suits him until he becomes a taster or connoisseur of churches. Ah, the connoisseur of churches. So easy to become one of those in a place like Dallas, Texas, where there are churches of every size, every stripe, every flavor, every denomination, every age, demographic, really every socioeconomic. It's out there. It's within 10 miles of us, okay? And so it's easy to fall into that place where it seems okay. It even seems right and good, you know, to seek that perfect fit, the one that just suits me the best. As Goldilocks once said, you know, not too hot, not too cold. Just right, spot on. And at some point I could probably do a series of messages on this. I'm not sure how popular it would be, but a series on the benefits of singing the songs you don't like. I think that might be an interesting series. A, civ- a series of sermons on the richness of enduring mediocre preaching. <laughs> uh, of having to sit in a room for an hour or an hour and ten minutes that's a little too warm or a little too cold. Um, I, I really, I'm sincere, it's funny, but I really do think that's part of the genius of church. Um, that God weaves all of these people together of different socioeconomics and, and ages. That's really interesting. And, and experiences and, and political preferences and outlooks. And God puts all that together in this one place. The church, his family, who are united by something far greater than any of that other stuff. The blood of Christ. The spirit of Christ. And I think part of the genius of church is... Being in community with people who see things a little differently, who feel a little differently about different things, I really do think that's important for me to grow spiritually, for you to grow spiritually. Um, but, you know, here we are in our culture, and, and it is very much a, a culture dr- or, or an economy. Let's say an economy driven by our preferences. So Sunday mornings for me and today was no exception. It is Starbucks. It is a venti, double-shot, three-splenda latte. And it needs to be that. 
or it's wrong, okay? Double shot, I want double espresso, especially to wake up before first service. Um, venti, foamy awesomeness with those Splenda in it. That's the way I like it. Um, and we are used to, in a lot of places, not everywhere, okay, but we're used to getting our way. Um, and church, I think maybe that's the place in God's infinite wisdom. It's the place we don't. <laughs> we don't get our way. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful when we lay down our preferences and opinions and rights because we care about somebody else who likes singing the 17th century stuff or the 2016 stuff. Anyway, so this is a big enough deal for Jesus um, that he wanted his inner circle, his apostles, these hand-picked guys in his training program, he wanted them to know that when everything is said and done, they're going to have a wonderful experience. They're going to have a wild ride in this in this kingdom of God movement. It's going to be tremendous. They're going to have abundant lives. But he doesn't want them to forget when it's all said and done. At best, you can say, I'm an unworthy servant. I've just done my duty. That's what I've been doing. Well, it's not about us. And I think that's the message there in Luke chapter 17 is there. Coming to Jesus, it's, it's, he's just like, guys, it's not about you. It's not about making you guys a little more comfortable, <laughs> a little more happy here. It's about me. It's about my kingdom. It's about my agenda. That's what matters. And you should just be blown away by the mere fact that I've invited you in. That you get to partner with me in this gospel project. And essentially, this gets us all the way back around to the beginning. We started talking about faith, didn't we? About faith. If the great things that we accomplished, that we dream, that we dare, if they happen because of our faith, that means, if it happens because of our faith, that means those were things that God was doing. <laughs> Makes sense? Those were things that God was doing. Maybe doing through me, but ultimately God was doing those things. And I thought, as I was working this out tonight, I thought of, of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, 21. Very familiar passage, but I think it kind of sums this up. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. So beyond us, not us. Okay? <laughs> To God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask, more than all we imagine, according to His power that is at work within us, but it's His power, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So if I'm walking by faith, my master gets the credit. Um, faith keeps things in perspective. It reminds me that it's not me. It's not what I'm doing. It's what he's doing through me. And ultimately, it's for him. It's for his glory. So me, unworthy servant, just doing what he's asked me to do. And oh, how good it is to be an unworthy servant of the God of the universe. 
What an amazing position that is. It's better than any CEO job here on planet Earth. It's as good as it gets for us. And so we can and we should pray exactly what those disciples prayed to Jesus in Luke chapter 17. Increase our faith. Increase our faith. Let's pray before we sing tonight. God, just very simply, that's our prayer. Increase our faith. I have no idea what you would say to me about my faith. I think it would be a whole lot closer to, O ye of little faith, than, wow, I've never seen such great faith. And so, Father, I I just ask you to increase my faith, to increase our faith as a church. We want you to do God-sized things here, not human-sized things. We want you to be able to do more than we ask and more than we imagine. We want you to go beyond our plans and our schemes, do something bigger, do something God-sized here in this place, and increase our faith. And God, we are overjoyed. We are grateful that we are called your servants. And we understand that all of the good that happens in this place and in our lives, it's because of you. We're just unworthy servants. Thank you for saving us by the blood of Christ. Thank you for setting us free. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's be standing. Let's sing together.